0: Welcome to the Fargo Podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Fargo on FX. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about season four, episode 11, titled Storia Americana. Uh, this is the finale of season four, and there's a lot of a lot of death, just like there's been throughout the whole season, uh, and it's the death of the season. Aaron, what do you think? To, paraphr- uh, to paraphrase uh, George W.
1: Bush on leaving Donald J. Trump's inauguration in in 2017 that was some weird shit uh huh. this is a lot i mean yeah this felt uh, i i i saw a lot of people on, on twitter um adding me about what a terrible experience this was watching because mm. it's like a it's essentially a 30 minute episode like the credits are extended there's a, if you missed it there's actually a a brief post-credit uh sequence If you take all that stuff out, like, this is essentially a 30-minute episode. It was an hour of television. That means you had 50-50 commercials to content, um, pretty much. Yikes. And I could even tell, like, even watching on FX on Hulu, you could see, like, where, holy hell, there was a three-minute scene of just people reacting to Satchel coming back to life, which is a wonderful scene. But, like, it's literally three minutes of that and then cut to another commercial break. And I imagine, like, the uh the frustrate it must've been a frustrating experience to watch it live on FX um yeah. but yeah like i i have a very strong feeling that this show kind of lost steam right around you know uh the the gang war when the gang war should have heated up with the death of of senator dr senator mm mm-hmm. And it just kind of didn't really have any way to go, where to go, except for the uh, Wizard of Oz episode that they clearly had built up and uh, built up around, and then kind of didn't know what to do with itself after that. Um, you know, like I've said before, I, I admire Holly for going for something like going for this kind of big story, this non-conventional story, the story of like. America and immigration and racial relations seen through the lens of this 1950s Midwestern gang war. Um, I think it's really cool what he's going to go for what he's trying to go for. But like this, this cake just didn't quite come together um, for me. And I, and I'm not saying it's terrible, you know, like it's this, I still enjoyed watching this season. I still enjoyed a lot of performances. I enjoyed a lot of the theses behind this. It's just, You know, so what I was worried about when I started talking about this thing being a morality play, like, you know, the whole point of doing a morality play is to try to teach something, something someone about the world, try to change their mind. And and if you don't have enough there there to attract people in to watch it, then, you know, despite the brilliance of everything else you do, you've, you've kind of failed. And I feel like by failing to make the actual war, you know, the act that's that's the. That's the sizzle, you know the stake is the, the complicated racial relations and what it means to be an American and immigration and all that kind of stuff if you can't if the, the if you don't have the sizzle, no one cares a shit about the stake and um you know i I think that's the the problem with, uh fargo season four it just it's just the uh, the the thing it was uh ostensibly about the thing that's supposed
0: to lure people in just uh, there wasn't much there there what'd you think yeah no i I think I'm with you um I didn't like much about this finale. I I've progressively liked the season less as it's gone on, um, and I think it's because it maybe felt like it it had a, a message it was trying to tell us, and it told us pretty early on. Like I'm, I'm trying to think, like this credit card stuff um, that Loy had going was what dated way back to the beginning of this season. Uh, it, you know the the effectively in the opening scenes of this Mm -hmm. season it tells us everything we need to know about like the melting pot that is america um and maybe it's just because i largely agree with the thesis of this season that i'm you know taking that away immediately from oh yeah this is where they're going with this and this is what it's doing right uh i think i think mostly it's a success um in that regard, more than it is a success in entertaining me or, or engaging me on, like, a, an emotional level. Um, it's it's a much more, like, intellectual season of, of Fargo mm-hmm. than I'm used to seeing. And in that, it doesn't entirely work, either. Because, uh, like, every other season, I feel like I was entertained the entire time. I was not, like, sort of looking at my watch saying, oh, yeah, this is a 30-minute episode, and they're using 15 <laughs> minutes of it on this assassination scene that I don't even think is believable in the first place. There, there's just a lot of stuff in there that it just didn't work for me. It really didn't. Yep. Although I like I like what they were trying to do. I think it's hugely ambitious. It's a tough thing to do uh, with that overarching uh, message for the entire season. And they get around to it like that speech from Ebel. I think the best scene in this episode is that Ebel telling Loy how it's going to be and mm-hmm. um, and Lloyd just going, oh yeah, no, I <laughs> this I'm this didn't plays, yeah. right. I, this didn't even cross my mind. Like I thought I was going to be the king of Kansas City, and here I am. I'm just another cog in this this conglomerate now, you know. And w- knowing where this story goes in Kansas City over the next thirty years, um, twenty years, whatever, uh, where Mike Milligan ends up working in the Kansas City Mafia, all that stuff works it makes sense it's just like the pieces that they put together to get there did not entertain me at all
1: yeah and i think it goes down there's a lot of things like i think um like i said i think people persuaded me about what he was trying to do with the casting the stunt casting of the comic characters as these these mob bosses and i i understand that and um i understand some of the other stuff he was was trying to do it's just like you said it just didn't quite come together for me like it's yeah, yeah that that central arc of like Loy being clearly the best person like i that's one of the things that i had was very little drama in the season like i knew there's no way that any of these fools could beat Loy cannon he's he was he was too smart too resourceful too organized uh too decent the only way he'd be beat is by the system itself and that's essentially what happened you know like uh um It's the same way that, like, what evil evil was saying to Loy is the same thing you could say to uh, a Native American back in the 15th century. It's like, yeah, you can burn this particular boat, and you can kill everyone aboard, and you can resist that. But you know what? There's, there's just, there's going to be three more boats tomorrow, and there's going to be three more boats tomorrow, and there's going to be three, and there's like, there's nothing. It's inevitable. Yeah, it's inevitable that you could do every, you can make all the right plays, but you're just. You know, you're a couple years late on the tech tree and you're going to get run off your own continent. Um, that's yeah. a very unsatisfying, like melancholy story to tell. And it's a it's it's um, it, it's, a, it's a tough, tough thing to kind of live with, you know, and I, and I there's a couple points where I thought like, oh, they're going to do something interesting with like, you know, like, uh, well, Lloyd lost half his business, but he gained 100 percent of his family. Um, and I was thinking, like, you know, uh, this might be like a, bear, a better version of American Gangster, because like Denzel walks out of that movie alive, but he loses like, like 20 years in prison, like the yeah. the, the best years and some of his best years of his life and his family and all that kind of stuff. And I, just as I was formulating that thought, it's like, huh, this is kind of like a slightly happier American Gangster. There's Elmer with the ch chut chut, And I'm like, well, <laughs> fuck me. Uh, so, like I said, there's a lot of stuff thing I think is interesting, but. Also, like, um, I've read the True Hollywood Reporter. I've read the Indie interviews. There's a couple of these things. I don't think he's the, you know, there's a couple of these interviews that have already started bubbling forth, and it does feel like Holly had something he was going to do. Like it, the so, something in the finale wasn't working. He had to take like 20 minutes out of it, and then it's like, oh, oh, geez, what do I do? I got to start. That's that's where the stitch together episode came from. Like all this you know, where things that didn't quite work and he tried to fix it in editing. And then he had a bunch of time to tinker with it. And it just still, I don't think still came quite together, but yeah, you know, it also, um, I don't, yeah, I don't think this is, I don't think the season is, is as terrible as like people are making out to be on, on, on Reddit on some of the, some of the, you know, it seems like the, it's, it's seems like the, the season is kind of divided the subreddit. Like sometimes that happens. And it's weird because, um, Same thing happened season three. It feels like Fargo is getting a little bit more surreal and cerebral as the seasons go on, um, as that's the thing that kind of interests Holly doing, you know, weird, weird uh, conceptual
0: shit. Yeah, that's that's the thing. Like the the, you know, thesis behind the season is this big conceptual thing. But then I feel like so much of the action, so much of the actual happenings in this season have been almost too grounded in a weird way. Like, you know, aside from like the, the fart attack and the, you know, got uh, got kind of blown his head off accidentally. Like, mm-hmm. it, I, I was incredibly disappointed by Orietta's death, by Mayflower's death. It's, really? it's so, it's so fucking mundane. It's just, she got shot in the head. She, she's an angel of death. You, you don't get to shoot an angel of death in the head and say, that's the end of her story. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's like I They didn't earn that imagery, that that Angel of Death imagery by the end. They retroactively unearned it.
1: Yeah, you're right. I mean, they were setting her up to be this kind of unstoppable evil force, and then they also had another unstoppable evil force and the actual unstoppable evil ghost. Um and but so yeah. Which was extremely
0: confusing to me most of the time. You don't see Lauren Malvo
1: going out like you know, that but I i I don't know. I mean you can fight him, but you didn't kill him, right? You're yeah, I thought it was interesting. I don't know. It 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 might be commentary in Holly about like Lauren Mal like if Lauren Malvo. There's always a bigger fish, right? You know, she's the angel of death, but then you know this this 17th century slave captain is the real fucking angel of death, and he's the one. And if you missed it, uh, you know, Mr. Snowman was in that scene. Uh, right. it's, it's something that you got to kind of look for And we'll, we'll talk about that in context Maybe we should do that Maybe we should just start talking about the episode Because I feel like, geez, there's only Death. like 30 minutes of stuff to talk about We're, we're about to tread all over it um, So Story Americana um, this is all like, uh, you're supposed to understand this is Ethel Rita's history report. And since it's a short episode, I only had a page and a half of notes. I thought we could just consider it scene by scene. Okay. Um, we got this long montage to begin with, which I thought was very effectively set against Johnny Cash's What is Man Lord, where he's essentially quoting Psalms chapter eight about like, you know, why us? Why are we... Why are we, these insignificant beings, uh, you know, put over dominion of this planet? Why are we allowed to run things? And you just all this chaos that's going on in the montage, especially with Josto. Josto's going full on Gaetano crazy. Yeah. Um, Smashing shit, getting drunk. Um, There's also a backdrop of Loy meeting with Evil in the park um him handing over the ring this was like widely held theory that this was going to be loy's last ditch effort to kind of manipulate you know to tell this false story um about josto betraying the family and and he says get your yeah it works So get your house in order we can and it works really well because everything circumstantially kind of clicks into place uh, against josto uh he gives up his hostage zero that's kind of nice. All of mm-hmm. the the kids made it out of the season. I'm not going to say all right, <laughs> yeah, uh, but they made the season alive and zero smiling
0: because he had a pretty good experience with the Cannon family. Uh, it's, Josto it's, takes. There's oh, the, oh, the the montage there also includes like the faces of all the the people who've died um over the course of this season with you know Antune and Kalamita and all these guys. Uh, so yeah, you you kind of they're setting up. Oh, what is the cost of all of this, right?
1: Yeah, losing Dr. Senator. Mm-hmm. Um, Josto takes Dr. Fucko hostage, uh, throws him in the back of a car with his father-in-law, the alderman slash mayor candidate, uh, shoots them both in the head, well, all over the place with a Tommy gun, out in the country, burns their bodies. And this is all insane. As I'm watching this, I'm like, well, there's you can't commit this kind of crime and, and get away with it. But it doesn't matter because he's not going to be breathing for more than 15 minutes. Right uh you know mayflower sitting there in lonely in a prison cell she gets she makes bail um happy is in the cafe regaling people of stories of of, of his uh, criminal adventures uh everything's looking against i i, I briefly thought that maybe something was going to happen here like and and subvert what i thought was going to happen because uh you know, I thought like, oh, well, maybe Evil's going to betray him both. Like, you know, we're going to take care of Happy because we don't want them around. We're going to take care of Loy because Leon sneaking up behind him with the gun. Mm-hmm. But there's this, I thought, pretty cool godfather setting where Loy essentially takes care of all family business. You know, yeah. he he crushes uh, a Josto. He takes out Leon. He takes out Happy. Um, and Holly just makes a meal out of it he's going for broke with the slow motion gunfire a two minute long strangulation of Leon uh-huh. which was fairly satisfying yeah I like those parts yeah um, and then they trap they trap uh, Josto by saying hey we won we got Loy you gotta come out and celebrate with us and he gets put on trial by La Familia
0: I hate this scene I hate this scene and I hate the ride to the country and I hate the assassinations all of it's bad all of it is so not well, let's talk gangster about the first shit. That scene, I, I'm why blown away. is well? The, Have I you mean, ever seen an Italian gangster movie? They don't drag you out in front <laughs> I've of seen the a group. Film, actually, uh, well, I'm more talking to Noah Holly. Have you ever seen an Italian uh-huh. gangster movie, Mr. Holly? Because they don't do this. They don't pull you out in front of the group and say, "Here's what you've been accused of." Can you defend yourself with words? No. They put you in a car. Everybody's smiling. They drive out to the country. Say, "Hey, yeah, we're meeting this guy. We got to do this thing." They either put a bullet in your head immediately when they dr- when you drive off, or they get out to the countryside. You step out of the car and they whack you. That's how this goes. And I thought they were setting that up with like the
1: perfect execution of like, "Hey, boss, everything's cool. Come on out and celebrate with us." Pop, pop, pop. They do. Yeah, they set it up. They just never <sighs> knock it down. The thing is, that way. is like, I- I'll. I 100% agree with you, but I'm I'm kind of cutting some slack because I don't think I've ever seen a mafia don whacked in a movie before. Like Vito Corleone, I mean, I saw an attempted whacking, which he's just out and getting the port. So it's like it didn't. Yeah, I, I yeah. mean, I guess that's right. It's like they didn't call the heads of the five families together and then you know uh,
0: put Vito on trial and blow his brains right. Yeah, it's just uh, not how it goes. They they decide they make up their minds. Oh, okay, this guy's got to go, and they go. That's it.
1: Yeah. And it's, like, also frustrating because I don't take Josto seriously, and here, finally, the family's not taking him seriously, but he's still trying to act like he's got, you know, some kind of sway or some kind of power. He tries to order them to, s- to stop the process, which <laughs> yeah, is interesting, I guess, in, in, in context of some things going on in the real world right now, but... Mm. Yeah, I mean, like, the, and I, I don't know if we need to walk it through for people, but the plan here is just like, oh, we got the ring that connects to the nurse. They grab the nurse. The nurse tells her truth. Like, you know, mm-hmm. this goes back to, like, I, I knew this was going to come in, that this, this misunderstanding. And I'm not even sure if it's a misunderstanding, but, you know, Joss was trying to play it off. But, you know, it looks real bad when your brother dies under really mysterious circumstances. Yeah. And the woman that you've been stooping. For several months and having hot, kinky sex with is uh, the one that murdered your father. and you've kind of been mismanaging this whole thing anyway. So a lot of this is just a pre uh, that's the uh, we got a piece of feedback where it's like, did we think that the mafia's case against someone is thin? And I'm oh, like, you know, yeah. like you said, it's like ha- have you seen a mafia movie? Like <laughs> better safe than sorry is the yeah. rule of the day. like, and there's a
0: there's a lot of circumstantial evidence. This isn't a court of law.
1: You yeah, know, plus this uh, is coming
0: down from the heads, right, in New York. This is this is not like, Evel just decided to do this himself, and then all these guys got behind him. Uh, right. This is coming from the real power behind the throne, the guy behind him, right, as he says yeah. later on.
1: Yeah. And they, they do this, uh, you know, this is a family business, such an old world way to do things, this is the new world, and I'm like... So this is you're supposed to understand this is the start of the thing that Mike Milligan is going to be a part of in the 70s the the right. the, the syndicate. Yep. This corporatized fran- crime franchise essentially that you don't have people that run, you know, empires, you have people that own a McDonald's franchise. Right. and if they want to stop paying their franchise fees guess what there's three people lined up behind them that want a franchise and McDonald's can get rid of you and put someone else in there and still be fucking making money on
0: Ronald McDonald um yeah this is my favorite part of the episode the 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 best thing they did in this is just show how um yeah that that weird like corporatization of this crime underworld here is 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 sort of also supported on the backs of Yeah, well, I don't know. It's this weird, like, who's keeping who down here, right? (laughs) Because everybody's keeping everybody down, and then anybody Mm. who gets ahead is just stepping on the neck of the person below them. And then it's sort of reflected in a microcosm, like a more personal sort of thing with Loy Cannon's death, where he sold out Zalmer and Swanee, and that came back to bite him, like, personally, and you know, all these little things that you do sort of add up, um, to you getting fucked eventually by the guy who has more power than you. So, which is,
1: that was one of the main, main themes of this season. According to Holly is the past catching up with you. Yeah. You know, like you can, it, it, it seems like things are smooth sailing and blue skies until you get to a certain
0: point And then the, the tornado comes and all that credit card um, stuff, um, you know, falls yeah. into that same theme. They, they did a pretty good job with that overarching theme. Um, and just telling us like, hey, this is what it is, you know. And but but the thing is, is like
1: this is all the connected to stamping, you know, um, which is that's just yeah. very highly some, and that's the thing where. Sometimes this stuff just doesn't work on, you know, like Holly with um, Legion, when you would have these flights of fancies, you could always rationalize it. It was like, oh, well, this is happening on the astral plane. So who knows? Like they're all dancing and stuff, but like they're probably really, this is intense psychic combat or some shit. But at this point, there's just some Italian dude stamping on the floor and it worked really well in the pilot when it was kind of like literally a play about like, you know, this, this, this history report that Ethel Rita was working on. And you've got the... These guys coming, to replace these guys, and these guys coming. by stamping is very highly theatrical. Um, but we're a ways away from that, and we bring it all back. And I, I this one of those things where I, I, like I said, it it kind of works, but it doesn't work as a gangster thing, you know.
0: Like yeah, it the, doesn't in, work as well like as I wanted West Side Story
1: it to. doesn't work as a street gang story, but it works really well as a musical. You know what I mean? Right, and like right. Fargo, it's like this. Uh, may might have worked really a lot better as a musical. Maybe should have leaned way into Legion and just had everybody singing their lines and and dancing around and whatnot. But it's like it's just that I felt like there was a mismatch of form and and function in
0: in a lot of yeah. the things
1: here artistically. Um, I
0: agree and it's the first it's the first time they've really tried to branch out and do something this big right like right. I'm, I'm thinking of season three it has some ideas in it um, and some supernatural elements that sort of reinforces ideas but ultimately like trying to do this season arc that says something about America says something about humanity is like kind of a little outside of this show's wheelhouse um. I think, or at least I haven't picked up on those themes in previous seasons as heavily as this one. Mm-hmm. So it, you know, it's it's admirable to try, but like, didn't quite work.
1: So you got this fake gangster trial that leads to this gangster execution, and the car ride out is kind of like played as comedy, which another yeah. thing. It's like I I felt like the time for comedy was over, and there's this like them screaming at hag, and it's like you know, Al and Peg Bundy going at each other in the back seat, and the one yeah, what? Knock it off, you guys. Um, and they're they're driving out to the 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 Battle Hymn of the Republic, which, if you don't know, was an abolitionist song, it was a Union soldier kind of fighting song. Uh, you know, comparing the deeds of Christ, uh, to what they were doing back at the time. You know, as as Christ died to make men holy, let us die to make set men free, kind of thing, which I thought was a really cool juxtaposition. Um, but then. They get out there and this is where the theme of the season juxtaposes against the actual thing we're see- seeing where Josto's is begging for his life and saying, you know, he's essentially this is the this is the immigrant thing. It's like, you know, hey, we're all and and it's even b- bigger than that. Like we all humans are connected. We're all literally brothers and sisters we are all from the same tribe. And yeah. what's all this killing for? You know, what's it ever been? But. It's rings hollow because Josto's been responsible for a lot of the killing. Right. And you know, it's like, Oh yeah, we're all related and we forget that for what? You know, we're climbing a ladder that doesn't go anywhere and you can't go side to side or up and down and the guy to yeah. his credits like, Yeah, I'm not buying it. Um It's like this the and- self serving
0: ready uh rhetoric what what the fuck am i trying to say uh yeah rhetoric that's the word i'm looking yeah, for yeah and, and there's there's a lot of this like stepping
1: over each other and everyone's doing it until it's your turn yeah. to be stepped on and then it's like hey we can't be and i there's like some kind of thesis in there about like so what's the remedy you know like how do we break this cycle um i don't think fargo has
0: any has has an idea on that doesn't seem like it i mean um, you have to appeal to the the better angels right but like when those better yeah. angels are being, when you are taking those better angels' names in vain uh, and using them for your own purposes, the better angels become powerless, and that's what this season is about. Yeah. So he tries to talk himself out of the pit. It doesn't
1: work. Uh, Mayflower has a final request: is for him to, the for Josta to get shot so she can see it, which. She's a weird, creepy person to the end, and the way she kind of like stomps over to watch him bleed out is really interesting. And she gets this, she turns around, she gets this real dreamy look on her face, and this is the part where the snowman comes in, because she sees herself reflected yeah. in the mirror, and her face is all distorted, and in the lower left corner, I believe, is is Mr. Snowman standing over her shoulder as, as the personification of death, as uh, Holly explained him as like an uh, endemic of your past catching up to you, which... okay. Works in this scene, but I don't think it works as a understanding of a curse on the Smutney family, certainly. Um, and then she gets shot. And then there's like this really sweet image, uh, artistically sweet image of them dead in the pit. And they look like a happy couple running off and do like, you know, huh. like eloping or something, which I thought was interesting. But,
0: you know. Yeah, I, cu- I couldn't get to the, the imagery they were going for there because of the imagery in previous episodes was just completely incongruous with her death. Um, but I don't know. And this whole, like this, I didn't feel like any of this stuff worked because I didn't feel that it was believable. I didn't feel like um, the, the endings lined up with like the stuff they had done before with those characters. It just didn't feel right. Like Joe Bulow saying any last words like, okay, I get it. Maybe this is some like Fargo, eric uh, cohen brothers reference and and uh, you know that the, there's like no country for old men in there with josto uh, begging for his life um but joe a gangster is not gonna ask you if you have last words they just they just <laughs> do don't that- do it <laughs> Do you think this this season was hurt by the fact that we had
1: just gone on like a gangster binge and like all of the gangster, the Scorsese Probably. gangster lore was like right there at the fingertips. And we just seen like, uh I honestly, we did see a Mafia Don get hit, like Joe Pesci in yeah. Casino. Yeah. That's the king in yeah. Las Vegas getting taken man. out. And it didn't look like this. Not at all. So like I, I wonder if... Um, you know, it had been another year where we hadn't gone accidentally through a Scorsese anniversary binge over on the Bald Move Prestige podcast. If we some of this would we'd kind of just gone with it. Well, it's like, you know, it's not my gank type of gangster, but it's it's more egregious when you just see some of the finest gangster movies of all time. Yeah. And, and see how they stack up against. For um, sure yeah, I don't know. Is that, is that, why is Mr. Snowman there? Did he, some? Did, did was Ethel Rita able to transfer the curse onto him? Was he actually a more of a, you're supposed to understand the guardian angel? I, uh, I, I don't know. It's finally Mr. that Snowman. stuff
0: mysterious, I guess. Yeah, he, he's been pretty confusing uh, most of the season. And, you know, it helped to get the backstory um, a little bit. But I will, I guess, take, uh, since I don't have a clear read on it, I guess I'll take Mr. Holly at his word. Um, this sort of past catching up. Um, Ethel Rita's family gets out from underneath the cannon thumb.
1: Yeah. You know, she's a, she, she has, uh, I still am not a hundred percent sure why Loy lets her off the hook for this piece of information. Because again, I feel like a real gangster would just be like, oh, well, thanks for giving me that. So it's the same way that uh, McDonald's treats the guy to invents the chicken nuggets. Hey, thanks for that billion dollar idea. And I get the fuck back to your cubicle in the basement. You know, like I, do you understand the fact that I own you and I own all of your work output and any idea that comes out of your head is also mine because, Oh, I own you. Like, yeah, I, but I, I don't know. Loy's he's a different type of gangster. You know, he's got, he's got more of a code. Um, Loy, for his part, gets to check out of the hotel, move back to his house, but he's horrified as his family is discovered a fact that apparently his house has been burgled. It's been broken into the doors ajar. He goes and with the gun and finds Satchel passed out on his childhood uh, hood bed, and he's got a gun and Loy I, this. I think this this scene worked really well, just out of context, Um his parents just joy, insane joy at the, the family being brought back together that, you know, you've, you've maybe lost a few things, but you've gained what's most
0: important. Um, yeah, I think it would have worked better. Um, as like a, uh, episode, uh, the end of an episode where we had seen, you know, like more of Satchel. I, it, it was, it was too out of context for me, um, or, or too like out of the emotional context, because, you know, I'm I'm in this gang war and I'm thinking about that. And we've only seen Satchel once in the last two episodes and it was brief. And I'm thinking, okay, he's gone. He's Mike Milligan. And then obviously you knew when the door was ajar that it was Satchel come back. But, like, mm-hmm. the, the, the emotional context wasn't quite there for me. So I wasn't able to get into the scene as much as I wanted. Although I think it was a, a well shot and, and good scene.
1: I guess I didn't think it was... I did not suspect it was Satchel. I, I really was thinking oh. that, you know, like I thought it was weird that we saw Satchel last episode, and I was still thinking that like, okay, we're not going to see Satchel again. So I was legitimately, right. um, I guess as soon as that guy, he went upstairs, like I'm like, oh, this must be Satchel. But yeah, yeah like yeah. my first thought is like um, that, that, that he was going to be betrayed by evil and that organization, which is the next scene. Mm-hmm. Lloyd driving out to meet evil. Uh, all's forgiven. Back to business, but there's a few final details. Oh, we're mm. taking half your business, and actually, we're not taking half. We're leaving you half because we could take everything if we wanted to. And it's just, you know, that bone weary feeling that people were talking about, like with um, Loy looking at the credit card idea that had been stolen and co opted from him. Yeah. Um, You know, this this whiplash of thinking that you won, you're going to be the king of Kansas City, and now you're just, you know, a bad boy. And in it, it, something that the, that the I, I can't remember who pointed this out, if it was Seppenwall or the, the IndieWire reporter, but the fact that like Mike Milligan had a very similar arc in season two that you know he did all this dirty work for his bosses he thought he was going to get this rich reward he ends up getting disrespected demeaned and sat at a desk job for yeah. his for his troubles um that this kind of cycle of like repeated history and and how do you how do you get out of it i th- thought is potentially interesting to to to
0: explore but
1: it felt it felt
0: bad it felt bad um yeah that's why this is my favorite scene of the episode because it felt inevitable it does yeah it feels like such a huge betrayal but one you should have seen coming and from a character that i thought i liked and now i viscerally hate uh the the way they why it right there. right absolutely um yeah they've turned ebble into just this colossal asshole um when all season he's been this guy that I'm like yeah he's the level headed one he's the smart guy who can get things done. If
1: only he and Doctor Senator could have set, worked things out, everything right. would have been fine, right?
0: Yeah, and, and then the way they turn it on its head, it really like Bravo that that I ended up hating Evel after this scene, uh, which is exactly very, what they very, intended. Very very uh a letter from a
1: Birmingham jail there, uh, Doctor King bemoaning the the white moderates who oh <laughs> are. are are, are no, no friend to the to the African American all but hmm. it, it is yeah like that's i think the, was the real knife twist in the moment is that you think you know oh we're going to get a happy ending here as happy ending as you you can see in a gangster movie and then Ebel just fucking sla- and and does it in the in the most shit eating way possible like the way he yeah. dismisses Loy I was offended. You know, like the guy, he's like, uh, uh, Joe and just gets his drink. Like, okay, you're not, we're, just, we're withdrawing our courtesy and hospitality. Get the fuck out now. Mm-hmm. You know, Jesus.
0: And that anger that Chris Rock displays uh, when this happens. There's nothing you can do. There's it, it, nothing right. you can do. It immediately just turns to to re- re- being resigned to the situation. Like, you can see, you know, on his face. It takes it's a chunk like, out of him, Yeah, yeah. No, uh, and he only gets that ch- he only gets any bit of that chunk back when he sees his family later, which is then immediately taken from him again. It's yeah, it's but, a but brutal I, episode for him. I think that's a
1: nice connection too to his debate with Lemuel earlier, where they're talking about you know safety versus power. You can't have both, and like you know, I yeah. I, and I thought that's where they were going with like, oh, well, this is kind of like. The one gangster movie where, and fittingly, it's not by his choice. He has to give up power, and may, now maybe his family is going to be safer and happier. You know, like, let the other people... I'm just going to keep my head down and do my job and let the other people sweat to deep. But mm-hmm. nope, the past catches up with him, and Zalmer there to stab him to death, um, which is infuriating, because she's such a ca- agent of chaos, and she's, you know, like, uh, if if... Loy plays the game the way it's supposed to be played. She's just completely coloring outside the lines and shooting, shooting baskets outside of the out uh, from out of bounds, and you know coming there and stabbing him. And then Satchel being the one, he's sitting there reading How to Win Friends and Influence People, and he mm-hmm. hears some dis- scuffling on the. He goes out there just in time to see Zalmer shush him and his dad die with like the worst look a horrified realization. Like I will say this. Chris Rock put in a, a death performance, man. I felt that one. Huh. I don't know how Mike Milligan gets out of the the like the bed every morning seeing his father's <laughs> eyes like that. <laughs> yeah, they would be haunting. Him. Like, holy mo- I thought Weff was going to have a hard life living down the look that Deffy was giving him, but Lloyd Cannon, man. Like, that's- Whoa. Wow. it's amazing. Um, So, yeah, that- that that happens, you know. We gotta mention the oranges everywhere. I thought it was funny in one of these interviews. Holly mentioned that, like, <laughs> I man, I never know what to think of these showrunners. Whether they're T- let's so taking out his word, he says the oranges had no connection to Godfather. They were designed in the truck scene to be this juxtaposition of this orange, okay. bright, sunny Florida fruit that's hiding you know, bad stuff going on in this frozen Midwestern tundra, which is also correct. You know, like that's, that's not all tracks, but also it's like, that's this long history of gangster and like Lloyd well, dies yeah. with the sack of oranges go like, this is God. This is, this is whole episode is very Godfather. Absolutely. Um, and I'm like, really, Holly, you didn't know about the orange thing. Well, this is Uh, tracking
0: now. This makes sense. Why would they have a gangster assassination scene where they they ask him to, you know, talk about how he killed his father, uh, one of the mafia dons? Why? Why would they have, uh, you know, a a Joe Bulo who takes you out to to the woods to kill you and then ask if you have any last request? It's cause Noah Hawley hasn't seen any gangster films. Now we know Noah Holly has not seen a single gangster <laughs> film other than Fargo.
1: Like he's only seen right. anything that the Coen Brothers have done, and that's that's yeah. that's it. That's it though. It, it must be true. Um, but Jesus, he saw Miller's Crossing. That's a pretty good gangster film. I mean, hmm. come on. If, I if haven't you're even just, seen If that you're stuck in Coen Brothers, so yeah. Uh, so we end with this kind of coda of Ethel Rita giving del- delivering her history report that she's been working on all season long. You know, history is a form of memory. But what does it mean? The fact that we all have different backgrounds, we all have different histories or histories are all segregated. You know what it means to be a white American is not what it means to well, shit, even what it means to be a white American constantly is flux, you know, like, uh, yeah, there's a day when Germans and Dutch and Irish and Italians weren't considered Americans. Mm mm-hmm. um, uh, jewish people weren't considered americans now they're all roughly kind of white mostly and what what is that that's separate from the history of black people in in america and native um,
0: americans um, native which they say name which, check here
1: right which is also separated and then, you know who's writing the history books who's the one that uh who gets to choose what we remember and what uh gets forgotten which yeah you know, reminds me a lot of the Fuhrer over the New York Times uh, 1619 project, you know, like the recontextualization of American history that they tried to do, centering it around the slave trade and whatnot. Like people just got really pissed at like... Huh. uh a, fa- a factual historical account of the country. Um, oh, wow. You know, but but that fucks up a lot of people's agendas and a lot of people's worldviews and stuff, you know, like trying to, yeah. uh, you know, the revisionist history is the thing that, like, uh, is seen as factual and the actual history that's like, oh, actually, we've done a lot more research and we've got a lot more perspectives and this is a real thing. That's
0: now trying to seen as revisionist history. Um, yeah. So I uh, also and read the soul. Holly... Well, it's all shot over mm-hmm. over Ebel um, sort of sitting at the desk, right, with his fingers, uh, you know, together and looking like the, the Mafia Don, and yeah, he's the one now the, writing the this particular history, right?
1: Right. And then, so I guess Holly was supposed to suggest with Ethelred is sitting in front of this summary execution by the 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 Moorish kings. This French painting in this fancy office. I took it as that she might have taken over, like. I'm like, man, maybe her and Lemuel had a relationship. Maybe they don't. Maybe she took over Loy Cannon's business. Maybe she's doing this. I guess Holly was supposed to suggest that she went to her bags suggested she went to France for some kind of highfalutin education curating thing. And she's in sitting in front of the original painting for some reason. She didn't find a way to integrate in America. She just escaped it.
0: Um. (laughs) <laughs> okay and, and so she's the one obviously telling the history story here um, right is he trying to say something about like she's doing the it intellectuals are somehow above it and, and are able to yeah be objective and tell the true history or like because I don't know if that's true either um, I think everybody's caught in that trap you know it's a matter of perspective She's yeah. she's telling what she saw of this story yeah Um, Uh, But yeah, I didn't pick that up the first time through. It was only after um, I saw it mentioned on Reddit that like this uh, about this painting. And then I started like thinking back. Oh, right. No, she's in France there. It. it, uh, Yeah, it didn't connect with me on first watch at all.
1: Mm -hmm. And then if you missed it, there's a post credit scene. There's uh, about 10 seconds of credits. And then we get Mike Milligan. They got Bakeem Woodbine back to film, I guess they filmed like 30, 40 minutes of new material and only used this, which explains the short shortness of the episode and some of the pacing <sighs> issues of the other, uh, throughout the other season. Uh, but it's Mike Milligan driving around the Kitchen Brothers, or at least one of them. He's checking his gun. He's thinking yeah. back to his youth in split screen. He's very pensive, uh, you know. And that was, I guess, cool.
0: Yeah, I'm trying to think when... When is this taking place? Like he's, because you can see like the the kitchen brother who's left, and I can't remember their names. Um, mm-hmm. has like the the cuts under his eyes, so it's like after some serious action. I'm just trying to remember season two, and I really can't remember that. Yeah, much. I'm wondering if like if it
1: is like, you're supposed to understand is like this after he got busted down to the desk job, is this on his way to you know thinking he's going to get the rewards? Maybe you know, like it's 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 after the main events of Fargo season two, but before he actually gets to uh, the the actual ending. I I I don't know, but I guess there was like you know this whole um, whole series of scenes that was set in the 90s. Around what Mike Milligan was doing, and they they brought Pakeem Woodbine out here, and they shot huh. all these scenes, and then Holly's like, "This just isn't working. This is very, you know, Return of the Kingy. Where like, where is this coming from?" And he said he wrote this like amazing speech that like kind of summed up the whole, but it just he never could quite. And you know Woodbine you sounded and looked amazing giving it, but he's just like it just didn't feel like it felt like the season's overstaying its welcome. So he ripped it out, which you know again it seems like that's the thing. I haven't got. Um, I still feel like there's there's a real deep dive um, post mortem to be done with Holly. And but what from what little I've seen, I've already seen that like that was the kind of the original sin that because because the other thing I got in these interviews with Holly is that he the whole point of season four was like the germ of the idea was oh how did how did uh, mike milligan get to be in that position in the 70s and that period in that time and everything worked back to like make the ages work and all that kind of stuff and you know telling this tale of immigrants and and uh people of color's history in america and all that kind of stuff right. um but it's wild that this, the, the core conceit of the thing was kind of screwed up the pacing and caused him to restructure a bunch of stuff. It just, yeah, like I said, it just feels like a cake that didn't quite bake.
0: Yeah, that happens. It's just a shame when it happens on this scale, right? You spend all this money, all this time. And, and then the thing just doesn't come together at the end. Oof. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, uh, that's, uh, that's, that's, uh, Fargo season four um had its ups had its downs had its great moments um had some things that mm-hmm. you know i was going to stick with me for a long time but uh the su- the the parts were greater than the whole i think for sure
0: uh and that's a damn yeah. shame and and that is what i'll remember of this season i'll remember things like the fart attack i'll remember things like uh the massacre in the train station i'll remember things like gaitano dancing on the ice right <laughs> the stupid stuff like that um I, I just I don't think I'll I'll I don't think I've taken away enough of what the season wanted me to take away. Yeah. Uh, and that, you know, the thing is like uh, there's this
1: this was somewhat of a cursed project. It had a pandemic that shut it down that caused yeah. them to you have to do that for. We talked about that four month flash forward that kind of sort of broke some story. Things was forced on them because there's no more snow. Um, I don't know if we talked about that last scene, but someone I, I tweeted or emailed me that like the the you know one of the problems was like when you have the when they came back and do filming, there's no more snow on the ground, so you have to go to spring, which kind of like helped out some things, hurt other things. They had to mm-hmm. recast Zelmer and uh, uh, Swanee uh, from the beginning. They were going to go with Amber Mid Thunder and uh, oh. uh the the woman that played Crazy Eyes on Orange Is the New Black, Uza Aduba, I think is her name. Mm-hmm. I forget why that fell through, but they had to recast them right before the things. And they shot this. They brought, uh, you know, Woodbine back to do all this shooting to kind of really tie into Mike Milligan. And that didn't. it just feels like he just had problems all over the place. Yeah. You know, that led to pacing problems, which made him chop up the middle of the season, which made that very uneven. It's just, Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it didn't quite go all his way, and that's a shame. But I'm mm-hmm. glad he did it. I'm glad, like I said, i am I'm, I'm much rather see a guy swing for defense as a miss than, you know, bunt all day long. Sure, and I'd be in for season five if they ended up doing one. Uh, I would definitely be that's watching the- it. That's the amazing thing about all the anthologies. You know, I'll put American Horror Story up there, too. It's like, you know, yeah. season great, season terrible. Next season, it's like it's like sports. Well, there's always next season. Sure. You know? <laughs> right. Uh, so we'll have to see what, how Fargo does in the draft. He said at, in both of these interviews that he has a clear idea for season five. Okay. Um, but he doesn't think it's going to be his next project. He's, I guess he's got a book that's been overdue for two years that he's going to try to write and mm. some other things. But yeah, he's already got a, like a, a season five of Fargo, which is... More than we had at the end of season three, if you will recall in season three, he's like, yeah, I don't I don't I mean,
0: I'm not opposed to doing more Fargo, but I have no idea what to do with Fargo at this point. So, yeah, I do wonder how big the idea for season five is, you know, is he going to go for another kind of big uh, analysis of of something, uh, you know, that's plaguing the world or is he going to take it smaller again and do something more personal like a season one sort of thing? Yeah, I don't know.
1: It'd be interesting because he always says like he doesn't like to or if he's trying to talk about current events, he likes to do it in the context of the past, which I think is a really smart move, you know? Yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, with with the uh, past repeating history, repeating itself over and over, it's there's an endless possibility to do that. Sure. Plus, it's at a remove. You know, it's one thing
1: to be like Uh up in arms about stuff happening today. But like, you know, if you set something, you know, if you want to do some kind of parallel to today through the lens of Vietnam, well, you know, like we've got 40 years uh 50 years on from the fact of like passions have cooled we've kind of like you know been able to see who's right and who's wrong historically um i think it's a really good idea to tell these stories and and like i said i'd i'd be in for season five it's i'm curious to see um i haven't been keeping track of like how well this show has been doing like in ratings wise it's probably a little bit harder to tell now that It's an fx hulu type of thing uh but the other question is like is fx studios would would they are they going to renew season five for uh uh, fargo yeah nice. um uh, maybe things we consider next week because we are going to have a wrap- up podcast yeah. I imagine it, it it depends on how long it is going to be dependent on the depends on how much feedback we get on it because I'm gonna do a little bit more kicking around on the the holly post and stuff um and I might yeah. have some more things after I, I read some more and think about it a bit but uh um yeah we're definitely going to do it next next week uh fargo at baldmove.com is how you get that feedback into me uh here's a sample of what we got this week Fargo at baldmove.com. First up is Diabetes Man. Boy. Uh, I, it's probably not his real name unless it's Wilford Brimley, Back from the Dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, he says, Noah Holly's writing in a lot of ways reminds me of Nick Pizzol- Pizzolatto, hmm. the creator and writer of True Detective, and in the sense that they get a, a basic story idea that is clear as you're watching it, uh, that that they are more interested in that than the story itself. Nick has said that if he could, he'd just write a story where two guys drive around in a car and have conversations. But he couldn't sell that, so he made a detective story as well. In the same way, even though this season is a mob war, it's clear Noah Hawley wasn't interested in the war part of the story, but more so a season about immigration and assimilation. So I get why people get frustrated with both writers and why some people aren't feeling the season of Fargo. I've been in the true detective fandom and people often get frustrated with the seasons as well, especially the infamous season, two, and often have similar reactions to that show. I'm enjoying it myself and I see what Noah is going for most of the time so I can forgive any missteps. I mean, like I said, I I largely agree. It's just I don't uh i think it's a bad idea to give short shrift to the meat of the story to like you know if, or the sizzle like if the stake is the immigration and what it means to be an american and assimilation and the american dream and if it's a fair shot then you know that's the stake that's a lot of chewing why do you chew it because of the sizzle because it you know the 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 and and uh, i mean i i i 100 agree with this this um piece of feedback it's just really frustrating because if you nail the gang war and have everyone talking about how amazing a crime story more people are going to watch it and more people are going to get the message that you're trying to deliver whereas if it's this weird esoteric morality play you know people are going to be like ah this is more more social justice bullshit infecting my television click you know yeah yeah. i why, why would you make it that easy to dismiss? Um, why wouldn't you try to wrap it into the most delicious Sabo that you could, you know, so it effectively penetrates the target?
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, and I guess like, you know, the, that comparison is is apt. I think uh, it's the structure of those is why I'm willing to keep giving both of these shows a chance. Like, you know, Fargo yeah. season four doesn't doesn't hit the mark quite uh true detective season two didn't come anywhere close in my opinion sure uh and yet i went back for a a third helping um of true detective i I went back i will go back for a fifth helping of fargo if it if it shows up so yeah yeah there's something about like the anthology uh format that lets those those people do what they do in a way where they can they can miss the mark every once in a while and it's still okay to do that Uh, G Salmon says, I think fans were thrown
1: for a loop at the two primary mob figures cast this season being famous comedian actors. But after getting through almost the entire season now, I believe it was very intentional on Holly's part. It was clearly intentional with Josto as he was demonstrated that he's just a silly kid who happened to fall into power through nepotism and has only maintained it through sheer blind luck and more nepotism. I think that Schwartzman playing this role could actually be one of the more brilliant castings in Fargo as maybe the audience wasn't supposed to believe that Schwartzman could be a mob boss this entire time. Just like Evil never has and Gaetano and Calmeda didn't until they disappeared and Gaetano mistaked Josto's blind stupidity for an intelligent strategy. Those around him in the show never believed that Josto had what it takes to be a mob boss and the audience didn't believe that Schwartzman had what it takes to play a mob boss. Rapid the Pilario. I just I butchered that. but <laughs> du- you know, Double, double it. it. Double it. Uh, I don't know if Holly was thinking on this level, but it would surprise me for him to be so undeliberate in his casting choices when he's generally knocked it out of the park in past seasons, even with relatively unknown actors. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the problem though. Like, you know, ah, Fargo has no shortage of buffoony buffoonery. when it comes to crime bosses and, and criminals in, in general. So like, that's all defensible. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't I don't know I I I'll I mean maybe I, that's I it It's like it. this is an American sad at the story and it's unsatisfying as fuck <laughs> Sure <laughs> it's not a merit it's not a meritocracy the the good guys don't win uh yeah. the good
0: guys are often bad guys like it's there it's, there is no justice there is no uh yeah that, that's that's just not something built into the fabric of this place. But it's it's really frustrating to watch, you know, because you, mm-hmm. you you want that to happen. Uh, but, uh, I did I did like settle into Jason Schwartzman as the season went on. Definitely, like at the beginning, I was like, oh, I don't know if this is working for me. Uh, here, I wasn't I wasn't thinking like, I, yeah, I have problems with his death scene and all that stuff. But I wasn't thinking, oh, Schwartzman is not doing this right. Like like I was early on.
1: I still think uh, Gaetano, man, like I, I can see why people like this guy. And I definitely saw moments where it's like, oh, this guy, this could have been a different thing. But, you know, and and I still don't know why Josto at the end is. I mean, it's like I said, it's this is this is Sonny and Fredo running the organization. And mm-hmm. that's that's not satisfying either. You know, like watching Sonny drive the old man's business into the ground and what second act of Godfather was very unsatisfying. But what are you going to
0: do? Sure. Uh, Yeah. I'm not saying uh, it's a satisfying character. I'm saying that he he fell into the character they were portraying eventually for me.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Lastly, I couldn't see until the ending of Happy that they may have actually been doing what they did to Schwartzman this season to Chris Rock as well. Lloyd Cannon delivered some meaningful words this season, but they did kind of did lack a true and convincing tone behind them. I could have been, it could have been because they miscast him. It could have been that they were actually trying to show someone who wasn't actually tough, but just looked like it because he's surrounded Mm -hmm. by tougher men. In the last scene Cannon had lost at least 27 men and seemingly lost his only help from happy. And he's talking about not having half the strength of Buell when he's at his best, how he just bought a painting to make him look tough without actually having any insider knowledge behind it. He said earlier in the season when he was trying to sell credit cards that people just wanted to look rich. This may be a callback to that and that he was speaking the truth both times. People want to look rich even when they aren't. Mob bosses want to look tough even when they aren't. And that has been the case with the two primary bosses uh, we followed this season. Both Rock and Schwartzman can pretend to be tough, but they're just comedian actors trying to portray something that the public may be incapable of perceiving them as uh, because of their frame as comedians. Canon and Fada can both act tough, but they're not tough themselves. Only the people around them are. Just an interesting little side discussion, in my opinion, is why these two were cast. Um, like you know, it's just, like that all makes really good intellectual sense. Just like I think someone like last week we week had a brilliant defense of what they were trying to do with Gaetano. It's just I don't like it. It wasn't fun
0: to watch, you know. I yeah I'm I'm thinking back on the performances and like Chris Rock when he needed to be, you know, when he needed to look like a badass, I think mostly convinced me. Like I'm I'm 99% of the way there on Chris Rock being a smart uh tough, you know, gangster, but like it I got there on both of those characters. I got there on Chris Rock because he convinced me through the performance that he was the character that I didn't think that actor could be. And then josto as uh as josto convinced me that he was the actor that they meant that character to be you know it's like Mm. they they were different like they had different trajectories of how i i came to terms with those characters but i eventually did with both of them and and you're, you're right like saying okay well this painting just makes him look like a badass and all the other things that make him look like it you're right that's there um and maybe that went into the casting i just by the end of it i was convinced that loy cannon was a badass he was just not in the position to overtake these other badasses anyway thanks for
1: that graham h also uh he was the first to send me the um uh Indie wire and hollywood reporter articles i've been talking about the 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 interviews with noah holly so i appreciate that uh saves me a little bit of time for 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 beating the streets myself Josh M says, "I've been thinking for weeks, and it makes no sense for Weff to betray Josto. Cannon had no dirt on him that would force him to what was stopping Weff uh, going straight back to the Italians and planning a trap on Cannon and the crew. Is this just some, another mishap of criminals being dumb this season, or am I missing something? I don't. I mean, mm-hmm. the thing you're missing, I guess, is that everyone is watching everyone, like um, except for maybe the Italians. I actually think the smart play for him was to back Cannon." Because I thought Cannon looked like he was the one that had the better chance of winning. Um, but, you know, Weffa's was a mess. Like, his whole arc was he's a person out of control. Uh, can't control his body, can't control his mind. Uh, seeks to look, to have that control so that he can have, a you know, master himself a little bit and just constantly losing it. And by the end, he just... You know, like I and I think the other thing you might be missing is I do think that Weff at the end was trying to go like straight, mm-hmm. like he was trying to, like he he's trying to be the policeman that Deffy wanted him to be as way to atone and you know leading all these raids and beating all the sides and it was just too late. Like if he had always done that, it'd been fine. Yeah, but a dirty cop trying to trying to wash himself you know, wash his hands in a fountain of blood just isn't going to work. mm mm-hmm. uh, from New York says, when Josto kills his future father-in-law, the alderman and Dr. Harvard, he's in, in essence killing off the deniers of the new immigrants. The alderman looked down on Josto and the Italians. Dr. Harvard denied them entry into his pristine hospital. In essence, killing them off is proof that the Italian immigrants are becoming part of the fabric of American life. They have crossed the threshold of the
0: other. Yeah, and I think um, that, you know, dovetails with uh, Evil becoming the, the conglomerate, right, that runs, uh, you know, that, that goes nationwide. They continue, what a
1: strange sort of ending to a series I love and a season I loved even more. I'm going to miss turning on to the show um, and uh, the episodes as you podcast, which are the highlight of my week. And I have some more thoughts uh, mm. from uh, moments of the show. I hope, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I... Sorry. I, yeah, I uh, I, I hope we, we we don't we don't harsh your your enjoyment of the of the season and and the episode because everybody you know you get to love what you love we love season three a lot of people hate it yeah we it's just like my opinions man problems, had a lot of problems with season two which a lot of people think is the best so you know we're we are uh, all Fargo radicals here we accept all radical Fargo opinions uh, tubular ones. Uh, gnarly ones uh, all all the surfer adjectives um, when Abel renigs on his deal with the cannons it's reflective of how blacks have been treated in America even their freedom from slavery was reneged on it was not what this was promised to them. We are not. T- we are not taking half. We are leaving you with half. This moment is painful to watch. For all his cunning- cunningness and stealth, Roy could never get ahead. The game is rigged to him from the start. The way he screams and then slumps in his chair. Similar yeah. to, to when he pulls over and sees the billboard for the Diners
0: Club. Yeah, for sure.
1: No, it's it's really good, and you know you're not you're not wrong. Like you know Senator. Dr. Senator had his own story of, like, the okey-doke they pulled on black people in World War One, and that's a consistent pattern. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, if you fight our wars, then you come back and, you know, you can earn your freedom. You can get your 40 acres and a mule, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, shit, you know, don't have the funding for that. Fuck. Ah, we're going to let the KKK take over. Ah, eh, well, you know, better luck than the next 40 years civil rights struggle. It's been it's been a um, you know Lucy and fucking Charlie Brown football situation yeah. uh, for generations. Um, yeah, uh, the oranges represent mortal death in The Godfather. Of course, Loy is carrying the harbingers of doom in his arms as he wistfully looks at his family. He seems to be content to be a company man now. Uh, if he if it can afford him time to be with his family, and the smile on his face is beautiful. Until agreed, I I like I said that's the scene that really fucked with me because I thought. I thought they were go like I thought they were gonna kill him, and then I thought and then it turns out they weren't, and then I thought he was gonna get the you know essentially American gangster plus ending of surviving and keeping his family and keeping a measure of his importance and power and wealth, and they took it all from him. God damn it. Uh Ethel Reader writes, Who writes the books, who chooses to get us remembered, and what gets forgotten? This Fargo season we got the hear slash see the tale of another type of family which is a rarity in the TV storytelling landscape. I applaud Holly for taking this narrative on. It wasn't even, but it was a hell of a ride. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing, I guess, is... As someone who tries to put a neat little bow on uh, where we're at and the progress we try to make as Americans, it is a very hard thing to do, to both like maintain a positive outlook toward the future and a full reconciliation oh, yeah. and accounting of the past. It's just... Man, we're, we're still in the fucking thick of it. Um, so yeah, like I, it is uh, you know, people like uh, Noah Hawley, um, people like uh, shit. The guy who did the leftovers that we like so much and Lost and The Watchmen. Damon Lindelof. Uh, Damon Lindelof taking pokes at this stuff is is very admirable because um, yeah. enormous risks, very little reward um sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't but i'm i'm, I'm glad we keep trying because that's that's how we muddle through it's how we wrestle through with this
0: yeah it feels like the stuff you've got to walk a mile to gain an inch and the, the miles just keep coming like i you know i i don't think we're ever getting gonna get past any of this right it's gonna be an eternal struggle it's gonna be something that just changes and morphs, you know, how uh, we have to deal with it. You know, the pe- people will always want power. There will always be greed. There will always be reasons for people to step on each other's necks. I, I don't know that you ever get in- That you get everybody on the planet to agree on anything. Oh, I've let alone to everything.
1: You, like, yeah. We got, we got this playlist of Christmas music and I got Stevie wonders, uh, one day at Christmas time. I-, I think that's the name of the song, but it's essentially, um, Him recording a song about... And he's trying to tackle everything, like racism but like and prejudice and even war. Like, you know, one day there'll be a planet where we have a Christmas where there's no one at war and there's no one that's hungry and there's no one that's homeless and there's no one to hate someone because of the creed or the religion or the race. And, like, every time I've been listening, I've heard it two or three times this year already. And every time I think, like, damn... Damn, Mr. Wonder, you are ch- you're biting off a whole hell of a lot. You get this feeling that like, you know, you solve one problem you're going to have still the others. And like if you get, you know, in many ways we here in the United States are kind of like the leading edge of some of this like melting pot stuff and, you know, multiculturalism. And, yeah. you know, if we solve it in this country, then there's stuff around the world to, to worry
0: about. Yeah, it's funny. This is uh, this tribalism. Maybe this is why I brought it up, but the tribalism is like a huge aspect of the latest expanse books i've been reading i'm in book six um and and yeah they're just like they started off that series with these mega tribes right of earth and mars and the belt and they were all their own individual tribes those three and then this the story of the expanse has just been a progressive microcosming of all of that and showing these micro tribes right where in these larger factions you still have people who don't agree on anything uh And they all have like the same interest and they all have like a goal they should be working together toward and they can't because they're all fucking at each other's throats over their own petty like small disagreements on how things should be run and nobody can get their shit together. (laughs) And it's not,
1: and it's not like even, uh, it's not a racial, racial thing now. It's like, uh, cause like yeah. that's one of the big things that expands is everyone's got like, you know, the, the, their physical presentation, like whether they're mostly like Asian or African or European descent, they ha- might have a Russian name or an Asian name or a French name. Mm-hmm. Like everything's like been mixing and mixing. It's all about like whether you were, or, you know, did you grow up in a gravity well or not? Did you grow up on earth or Mars if you're in a gravity well? Um, it's, it's weird. Cause like, you know, you got, you got Star Trek that shows the 400 years in the future. We've solved all the problems. <laughs> right. The expanse which is 400 years in the pro we've just played shell games with all the problems. Uh-huh. Um, I feel like the, yeah. the expanse outcome is more likely. Um, Dude. Like, yeah. The fact yeah. that, uh, I don't know. Like I, is, as, as, uh, are we all just doomed to repeat eighty-year cycles of history? Like you know, like one, once the old folks that died off the, the last time remember, <laughs> like, uh, do we do we slide steps back? I mean,
0: I don't know. It seems like we've made progress. Yeah, last- and that's the thing. Uh, you know, I, I do see that there is progress being made, and also like losing, uh, losing your faith. I guess like adopting that cynicism and just saying, "Well, fuck it. If that if that's how it's going to be, then none of this matters, and I'm going to get mine." Is the path that leads to that very outcome that you're decrying right so that's you've got to avoid cynicism um and and you've got to keep the hope alive uh in order to make any progress whatsoever otherwise it's just you know gangsters going at each other and and killing where we need to kill each other it's gangsters all the way down and that's uh yeah (laughs) living out yeah living outside the law the
1: social compact is not for me anyway no uh RyRy writes in, says, I'm well known in my circles as being uh, having a perverse love of grief porn. I, I, I imagine you're a big fan of The, the, the Leftovers. leftovers yeah. If not, oh boy, have I got a show for you. <laughs> oh, here you go. As much as I love the oppressive sadness caused by art such as The Leftovers, my absolute favorite is art that is depressing without actually trying to be, such as this final episode of this season of Fargo. It's a super bummer to know that there are actually people in this world who can live without thought. Uh, just mm. shooting a couple of people in the head and putting them in a hole and not batting an eye. It's yeah. a super bummer that those with power can do whatever they want and there's nothing anyone can do about it. And my God, the look on the face of Jason Schwartzman when he's walking to his execution and that death face that Chris Rock summons, brutal and beautiful. I mean, Fargo does that well. Like I remember back in the first season when uh, it wasn't a wrench in numbers, slide that guy conscious into the the... Upside down and through the ice hole, cutting the lake, and just like, yeah. ma- like Johnny H- Cash says, like God, why do you give us all this power and we're such <laughs> base shits? You know, like that, yeah, like everything. Thinking about like trying to talk your way out of getting shot and thrown into a ditch, and yeah, I mean, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's, I it's, mean, it's,
0: it's it's rough if you got some empathy. <laughs> absolutely, and you no, know, you hate to see it. Uh I do think when i look at all this i'm i feel like the real power the true power that people have is in consensus is in unity and agreement and it just so happens that the people who are in power let's not forget the small vast minority that are in power mm-hmm. have have essentially stopped us from coming together to to squash that power because if we were united as as whatever pro- proletariat as as people who uh, are not racist, whatever, if we came together and said, no, fuck this, uh, our our power is in our unity and we're telling you to stop uh, and we're going to make you stop, mm-hmm. you could easily overcome whatever power of like money or guns or whatever that those small minority have, right? You could. Right. You absolutely could. So the real power there is in consensus and we just don't have any right now. And that's the that goes
1: back to the grief porn, because if you read anything about like people like that's the thing about this depressing about reading stuff about you know class consciousness race consciousness going back and read civil rights stuff going back and read previous revolution everyone independently has this realization over generations that like you right. know what we're all mostly good and we want the same things yeah if we can just why like can't put aside the differences and get rid of the bastards we'll be- and yet you know for hundreds and hundreds and thousands and thousands millennia
0: epochs of time we're still locked in these fucking games man yeah but that's why uh, you got to keep that hope right because every person who becomes a cynic and says i'm going to get mine is another person who's not united in those causes like stevie said one day at christmas <laughs> it's going to
1: happen what it may be maybe too so. late for you and me but one one day it's going to happen uh my only gripe from this episode according to rai rai is that mike milligan didn't pass a decaying the future is now billboard at the end of the show wouldn't bet that have been cool oh like a, like yeah, one yeah the the last that, that, shots he drives by the future uh-huh. and it's all just peeling and you can barely
0: make it out and like that that would have been cool i like that to think it got cool. cut it was he was he was actively talking while uh you know giving that long speech and they just had to cut it
1: uh yusuf is our last email of the week again we're going to have one more episode uh a wrap-up episode if you'd like to send your final thoughts of fargo at baldman.com and i know like you know like uh i would like to hear you know just continue the argument you know um Mm-hmm. we've advanced ours. Uh, if you see some flaws in it or, and I, that's the thing is I don't even think i see. It's more of like, yeah, this shit's depressing. Uh, <laughs> this isn't, oh, this sure. isn't entertainment. Um, Yusuf says, uh, Hey, Jim and ron I've loved your coverage of Fargo as always. Thank you very Thanks. much. This is not a plot related theory or anything. It's just something I found interesting. I feel like Boardwalk Empire had a few good fingers poking around in uh, Noah Hawley's brain when he was forming his vision for the season, as far as a vibe. Loy Cannon specifically felt very reminiscent of Nucky Thompson. I've kept that thought to myself since I didn't really think it means anything, but I decided to share it with you guys, especially once Aaron started describing uh, Lloyd Cannon as a decent guy by Criminal Reckonings. He holds the code. He keeps his word. He doesn't have these really intense, crazy plots. To me, that's Nucky in a nutshell. When you factor in Cannon's life as a mob boss and how pragmatic he is about everything, his lounging style... His setup at the hotel he lived in for the last episodes is just very eerily similar to Nucky when he lived at the Ritz. And the similarities definitely jumped out to me, too. This quote uh, in an interview with Holly also made things uh, connect further in my head, which is this is from the true Hollywood reporter or the Hollywood reporter. I don't think, <laughs> I don't think true or false <laughs> has anything to do with it. The more power he pushes for, the less safe he and his family become. At this critical moment, they're the least safe they will ever be. And once his business has been taken from him and been made into an employee, he goes home and looks in the window and has a moment to realize that he's safe. He thinks maybe this was winning on some level. And the tragedy is this, of course, is his moment of death. In Nucky's case, the hunger was more for money rather than power, although... Those things are famously somewhat coupled. Mm-hmm. In the series finale, he ends up losing all of his business to the New York Mafia, but still has enough money to love, live comfortably, and he has rekindled his relationship with his previously estranged wife and, in return, may have his family back. He feels lucky to be alive and ready to start the rest of his life when, boom, betrayal from his past comes back to end his life. Oh, shit. I forgot about that. There's a ton of loy Cannon. in this, if you ask me. I tend to agree. I, I tend to agree with, you're, with, with what you're laying down here, Yusuf. Yeah. Um, You also mentioned early in the season how Gaetano Fada reminded you of Bobby Cannavale's character, Jip Rossetti. And then, of course, there's a more direct connection in the casting of Jack Houston, the one, the only Mr. Richard Harrow, someone we barely have seen in anything on a major network since Boardwalk Empire. Don't get me wrong, the guy's an acting beast, but how does anybody remember him unless they were fresh out of a Boardwalk Empire binge? Um, Yeah. Yeah, and he plays another scarred veteran that has trouble reintegrating with society in any kind of normal way.
0: He's a, he's like a Gary Oldman-like, you know, where he's this chameleon who can change everything about him, uh, everything about his performance from role to role, and yet he hasn't gotten that attention that Gary Oldman did. Uh, yeah. And he's still pretty well, young, so give him time. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um. And he, he does
1: show up from time to time. I, I, I always like seeing him. I can't remember all the things I've seen him in, but he's he does, still does a lot of character work. And, you know, that's, that is yeah. that is what he's really good at, just subsuming himself. Because he's a very good-looking guy, very talented, but he's he's always playing these weirdos where he's contorting his voice or his face or his mannerisms to be off-putting and, you know, be, being this uh, outsider. God damn, I do love Richard Harrow. If you haven't, yeah, if you want another good uh, if, if you're feeling for if you're feeling up for a real strong gangster story, uh, you could do a lot worse than what is it, four seasons, five seasons of Boardwalk at, Empire,
0: at least five,
1: yeah. Um, uh, yeah, and Richard Harrow is, yeah, if you if you like Weff, wait to get a load of fucking Richard Harrow. Holy shit, I don't think he shows up till season two, maybe, but god damn, one of my favorite all time characters, right up there with Omar little as like all-time favorite super cool backstory badasses in television fictional history
0: is there something about tv that makes it harder for actors to get recognized because like you're on a show for a long time right yeah you're you're locked
1: in that contract yeah
0: right and so if people aren't watching the show that you're on or if like people Uh, You know, you just get talked about in the same way over and over and over for years at a time, whereas Gary Oldman, you know, jumping around movie to movie to movie, uh, it affords people a lot of opportunities to see you and be impressed with your work, whereas television, if you don't get somebody from the beginning, it's really hard to get them invested. Like I I, I feel like Breaking Bad is one of those exceptions where the audience grows, but typically audiences Mm. for TV shows shrink as they go. Yeah. It's a, it's a good question. I mean, there's always that like small screen,
1: big screen, like, um, you know, prejudice in Hollywood. I feel like that's been less of the golden era, yeah, but now you got a worse problem. Now it's like high school football, college football, professional football. You've got such a huge farm team now with all these amazing prestige dramas with these huge casts that, like, what they all can't break. I mean, look at Game of yeah. Thrones. Who is going to be the breakout star from there? It Peter might Dinklage be nobody because he
0: already was. <laughs> he already was a star. But yeah. like
1: you look at Kit Harrington, he's tried to do some things. You look at yeah. Richard uh, Mart. What's the was Rob Stark? He tried to. do oh, yeah. I'm not saying they don't have a career. Um, you know Amelia Clark. I'm not saying that they haven't. But like it doesn't seem like they're able to catch that fire. And what we're like it. And if you think any any one of them is going to do, what's the odds that ten people break out of that show? You
0: know. Yeah, um, I mean, you just even really, look at it's something- just really hard. Like I said, Breaking Bad, like Brian Cranston, you know, Aaron Paul tried to break out and I don't think he successfully has. Like he's got a career, but it's not the sure. super high profile. Brian Cranston even has had a hard time, even though he's an incredible actor and everyone loves him. It's a, it's a, honestly, a new genre uh, defining performance from him. Yep. Like he's in movies, but I don't think he's been in any movies that have really like, gone over the top and put him at sure. the movie star level he's got a new I think limited miniseries it might be on HBO where he's a judge
1: I just saw that yeah, people yeah. talking about um so yeah he's definitely but 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 your, your your point stands like for every high school star athlete you know the star quarterback on your high school team that everybody loves and wants to be is going to be maybe a, a wide receiver on a division three college team. And he's going to wash out of the pros or not even get a sniff. (laughs) Like, you know, every it's. And I I feel like that's with, with all these different television, all happening in different networks and different Like we're so fragmented, like, yeah. Yeah. Having one iconic role might be like, yeah, that's the career. It's like we have a string of one hit wonders and the, the people become super duper stars. And not, not that it's less frequent. It's just that there's only so many roles we have for people. And yeah, you know, Uh, In in the movies, anyway, and and, uh, there's always people trying to break in, so Mm -hmm. it's a dog-eat-dog world. Gangster. Very gangster out in Hollywood. Oh, for sure, yeah. You think the mouse plays around? Fuck no. You're gonna wake up in a goddamn ditch, you fuck with that rat. Yeah. that's a pretty good place to stop the podcast, I think. We will be back next week to kind of wrap things up. You know, like I said, we advanced a lot of arguments. I know you guys did too. If you wanna get your last words in, I'm 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 more than than open to uh, intellectually discussing the show. I'm gonna kick around and see if I can see some, get some more interviews uh, with Holly and see what other people are saying. But we'll be mm-hmm. back for one more episode next week. Fargo at baldmove.com is how you get that feedback in. Stop by our forums, forums.baldmove.com Uh, if you'd like to see some discussion there. And, of course, you can follow us on uh, at Bald Move on Twitter. If you want to keep up with the latest, subscribe. Hey, if you want to make sure you don't miss a Bald Move podcast, uh, look for Bald Move Pulp, Bald Move Prestige. Subscribe for those. That's where everything goes. You know, Pulpy is where the comic booky and spacey stuff and the fantasy stuff goes. Prestige is kind of everything else. Um, A great way to stay connected with us. But we'll be back next week. Until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. See you later.